week three of MLS Gone Wild. Thank you for thank you for joining us again. I'm your host Brendan Takis. I'm also joined again by Blum Eshelman and Dakota Rock. Blake, take her away. Yeah, this is Blim. First of all, I just I just want to ask you guys: Are you guys still going to work? Are you guys self quarantining, or what are you guys doing? Because I'm still going to work. My job has we've gone remote for the rest of the semester, so I've been working at home since Tuesday, since yesterday. So stay at home, dad. So you can't get any better than that. Let me tell you. All right. Hell of a stay at home dad, man. Somebody's got to take care of Don. You got that right. Quarantining every single day. That's right. All right, so yeah, like Poopa said, welcome to MLS Gone Wild Week 3. It's been a weird week for all of us. Six days ago, Don Garber, the MLS, made and released a decision to postpone the league for 30 days because of the impact of the coronavirus. His final quote in the letter and the post that they released on uh, Instagram said, we'd like to thank our fans for continued support during this challenging time. All three of us are fans, so we took that to heart. We decided to reach out to other supporters groups across the MLS, uh, being that from MLS originals, such as the Columbus Crew and Nordeca, to an MLS expansion team in Inter-Miami FC with their supporters group, the Siege, Sport, the Siege Supporters Club. We sent them a list of questions. Unfortunately, we haven't quite figured out this app yet to where we can add add people and drop people in to do interviews and what have you. So we have our questions and we have their answers, and we're going to give those to you guys. So if you guys want, please give Nordeka a follow. It's at N-O-R-D-E-C-K-E on Twitter. Again, that's Nordeka, and that is the Columbus Cruise supporter section. And you guys can also give a follow to Inter-Miami FC's original and verified Twitter account for their supporter section. And that can be found at at siege Miami. That's at S I E G E Miami. And Poopus did a hell of a job contacting a fellow podcaster and LAFC employee and the desperate search for content this week. It's been rough, but this is the best we come up with. Our man's name is Vince LaRosa and you can follow him at LAFC Vince. So again, that's on Twitter. It's going to be LAFC Vince. Uh, he's also an employee of uh, LAFC. Poopus, what does he do? What is his specific job title? He's a uh, digital manager. for he, So he writes all the columns for LAFC and do, does interviews on the field with the players and coaches. Cool. So I know you guys have been on you know, social media. You guys have seen the stay-at-home challenge. I think we might try to bring something to you guys on our Twitter feed this week. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be way worse than anything you've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, but you're gonna get one juggle out of me, that's for sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe one and a half for me. One good juggle. (laughs) But anyways, if you guys are you know trying to fill that void of MLS soccer, the MLS just posted today, and we retweeted on our Twitter feed that they're going to be showing MLS games every night for the rest of the month. Uh, A couple nights, fans are going to be able to vote on which games are being played. Actually, tonight, which is Wednesday the 18th, they're showing Seattle and Portland. 2018 second leg of the the semifinals in the playoffs and then tomorrow night after we drop this it'll be dc versus orlando in 2018 when wayne rooney scored that half field goal so if you're looking for some soccer to watch and you're a huge mls junkie like we are tune in to oh look there's a goal uh turn into youtube and just hit mls or go to the mls soccer app 
Um, and that's where you can find it. It's also going to be on Facebook. So watch away. It's entertaining stuff. And so I think the first thing we're going to talk about is the interview with Inter Miami. Cody, you want to take it away? Yeah. So um, we got some content from the Siege Supporters Club, the supporters group for uh, Inter Miami FC. Uh, asked them a couple questions about just being a first year team and a couple other ones about what they had to do to get to this point, some other stuff like that. Um, asked them about how they're reacting to the suspension of play. They talked about how they understand the reasoning behind it, but they're hoping it ends sooner rather than later, which I think we all are. I mean, I've been, as a soccer coach, soccer's like literally my job, my life. So not having it is kind of heartbreaking. It's kind of, it hurts a bit. I really don't know what to do with myself now. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of people are doing. That's where a lot of us are at who are within this um, career and that sort of stuff. Um, we talked about, we asked them about how being a supporter, what they're looking forward to about Miami the most and where they think they'll finish this season. Talked about how, Having a club on the field is good enough. We've waited for so long. I think though the person who is ahead of this head of this uh, support section talked about how he thinks they'll just make the playoffs based off the first two games. They could have easily had six points right now um, if things would have gone their way. They'll improve, which I think we kind of touched on that. And I know you guys have opinions on that, but I really see them improving. I think again, like the guy said, they could easily have three or six points. Uh, especially against D.C., very unlucky there. Yeah, I mean, they lost 1-0 to LAFC in L.A. with a chip from uh, Carlos Vela outside the yeah. 18. It's going to be one of the goals of the year. And then, you know, VAR, we talked about it last week, kind of took over, and there was a huge swing in the game last week in D.C. So they, they could have had three, four, six points, but unfortunately so far they don't have any. Yeah. Um, we asked them about um, pro Row with – the MLS being at 26 teams now, um, they don't see it um, feasible right now. Um, I think that's the biggest issue with the pro row. I know that's a big argument discussion right now between supporters and just analysis and stuff like that. A lot of people want to see it, but a lot of people at the same time don't, and a lot of people don't see it being feasible. So we'll see what happens there. Um, talk about them being – with being a first-year club, what hurdles do the team and supporter groups face? Their answer was, biggest thing is making people in the area realize this is a real. This is real, especially once the logo name, players, and coaches were announced. We as supporter groups have the issue of convincing the average soccer fan here who mainly follows the game on TV and web to get out to non-games and to get in as deeply as we do. Um, I think that goes for everybody. I mean, you still have people, I'm sure there's still people in Columbus who are trying to convince other people that to actually get out to games and everywhere, really. Um, we asked them about grassroots, what grassroots work they, they did um, before and after the expansion was announced. They talked about, we've been part of the effort to bring a team here for the last five to ten years, depending on the person. After the team was officially announced in January 2018 and even before... It's been mainly trying to get political work going for the stadium sites the team has proposed on the ground. We've been trying to get people excited about having their own local MLS club. And I think I want to kind of touch on the grassroots thing because I know you guys, we talked about this before the show and you guys weren't fully aware of it, but they do have the Miami FC, which is a U.S. Hey, man, you weren't, you, you weren't supposed to throw us under the bus. We definitely knew that, you know? Okay. 
I mean, USL, <laughs> not many people watch the USL, so it's it's understandable, but they do have the Miami FC a USL championship team down there, which is the second tier. So I'm intrigued to see how much, how many uh, Miami FC fans kind of went over to the inner Miami FC and kind of how they intertwine with each other. I think that could be cool to kind of hear from this guy about um, that grassroots part and how those two kind of mix together and how it's, how different it is having that USL team a part of the same city as they are and what kind of competition they face between each other. So the last pro team they had was a Tampa Bay mutiny. Was that it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were, I think they were one of the original, what was it? 10? Yeah. 12? Yeah. They were in the original group. Okay. But what was the guy's name that played for that team? That had blonde, like blonde tips in his hair. Are you thinking of Carlos uh, Vaderama? Yeah, maybe. Is that who he played for? Possibly. I don't think he played for the mutiny. I'm not sure, though. <laughs> I could be throwing this podcast all the way off. I could be thinking about a completely different team. Uh, actually, no. He did play for He did. Yeah, he did play he for played mutiny. for – he actually – there was also an MLS team in Miami in the late 90s, the Miami Fusion. I remember the Miami Fusion. That's – yeah. yeah. Those were, those, keep in mind, we're all like in our mid to late twenties, so like this is all kind of a blur to us. This, yep. the, the the first the first ten. I mean, of Frankie Hayden played with a uh, mutiny too back in the day. Yeah, did he? Well, you just taught me something that don't happen every day. <laughs> all right, so I know we just talked about grassroots soccer movements. What do you guys think goes into that? Like, what are some of the key components to creating an environment that's going to bring in a soccer team and fully embrace having a MLS professional soccer team. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just kind of doing free events and trying to find the best way to get fans involved. I know with, I mean, just kind of relating it back to me and my career is just like we host events where like we'll bring kids in for our like walkouts for our starting lineups and stuff like that, especially in a city like Memphis where you have the USL team, but the grassroots part of it isn't as big yet. So we kind of like have to get people out to our games and find free ways to, or cheap ways to kind of, for us to advertise it really. So I think it comes, a lot of it comes down to getting out into, into the community, doing local events for kids, especially because if you're doing it for kids, the parents will obviously come and then they'll kind of join in and take, take it on themselves. I mean, MLS, MLS now is like pretty much like a business too. So MLS is bigger with advertising things now, especially for certain soccer teams. So advertisement in cities, social schedules and advertising, like, I like like the covers going like special events where they're gonna get, and uh, I don't know just that type of stuff like that helps out like teams around here also plus teams. Yeah, and I think so. I have a couple key points down. That's creating a culture, and I think that's kind of what you guys are saying: creating a soccer culture. You know, making people aware of what's what's coming, getting people excited before it's actually there. Um. What go something that kind of goes with that is 
a way that you get the way a kind of a way that you create that culture is and the way you bring in fans is by getting hype. So hype for the stadiums. Like this is what our stadium is going to look like. It's going to be state of the art. It's going to have X, Y, and Z. Uh, your logo, your jerseys. I think Miami's jerseys are sweet with those very light pink shorts and the white tops. Um, I, I really like those. So I think stadiums, logos, jerseys, and more than anything else, the players that you're bringing in will reel. The, the players that you're bringing in will reel in the real soccer fans. Uh, the logo and the jerseys are going to reel in more of the the people that aren't as in touch with soccer but are interested in the game. But I mean, I mean, look at their owner already. It's David Beckham. So exactly, and that's almost like you're signing a big player. Yeah. The fact that you have that big name as your owner, um, you know, he, he was brought to the MLS as a DP, and that he won two MLS cups and was expected to take over LA. I think you know this year is obviously their inaugural year, but I think that further down the line. They, he will look to sign a player that's going to do something very similar to what he did to the league, kind of transcend. I still it. think Inter Miami still gonna make the playoffs this year, without a doubt, though. That's from what from this episode where I said that I still believe. So. so the only other thing I have down here for the grassroots thing is there are when you guys think of soccer towns or not soccer towns when you guys think of sports towns or sports cities. In America, what do you guys think of? Do you think of Miami as a sports city? Mm. Do I think of Miami as a sports city? I know. It's like it's a tough question. I'm sorry. I had to throw that one on you. I mean, kind of maybe, but it's like, like I know Miami is like more <laughs> bars and nightclubs. That's what, like, that's what everybody goes down there for. So I don't know if it's like family-wise. Is like that's that's all I know of Miami being, but so maybe if they like if they change the culture down there a little bit where they can actually get more, I don't know, more family. Uh, how much? What am I trying to say? Let's see, family oriented, yeah, family oriented, family like atmosphere. type of atmosphere. Yeah. Then I can see it being a, like, I mean, they have the dolphins down there, but that's that's about it, so. Well, they also have they the, got the heat Miami, and they the, got the Miami heat, heat. But the Marlins too. They have the Marlins, and I think the Florida Panther are the Florida Panthers still a thing. Yeah. Okay, I'm not very in touch with hockey. Sorry, I had to jump on Google real quick just to make sure we were good. Yeah, I think I yeah, kind they, of like I kind of agree with Poopus a little bit. I think when you think of Miami, you don't automatically think of sports. So, so since you said that, when you think of a city that when you say their name, you think of sports, what is it? You think of, so, Pittsburgh. I'm throwing it out there. Like, Pittsburgh, You as soon as you think of Pittsburgh, here, Pittsburgh, what do you immediately think of? Penguins, Pirates. Yeah, you think it's of It's just sports, like New York. It's just Steelers. like New York, too. Uh, sorry, I forgot. I'm a Browns fan. I forgot about the Steelers. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, as soon as you hear of a city, you should automatically, like, if it's a sports city, you automatically think of a team within that city. Like Boston. You gotta, you, Boston is a yeah, sports okay, city. Yeah. yeah, that's another one. Of course. Like, I think Boston ranks as the highest sports city within the USA, as much as that hurts to say. No, I, I agree with you. So, speaking of sports cities, we have one MLS expansion team coming in in 2021. That's going to be our beloved Austin FC. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then in 2022, we have 
St. Louis and Sacramento. Do you guys consider those sports cities, or what do you guys think of those expansions I mean, to the league? And that those those three will get us to twenty. I mean, look at California. So they already have a bunch of sports teams there. So I mean, you already have LAFC. You have Galaxy. Like, yeah, you have San, San Jose, Jose also. So I mean, and it's a it's a big big state. So you might as well just bring another another soccer team in there. So they can start yeah, their own league. I mean, it pretty point. much is. I think Sacramento was a good pickup, though, within MLS because it's already a USL team with a very large following. Yeah, I agree. And with some with success that. within the USL, too. I agree with St. that. St. Louis, I think, is a sports city. When you think of St. Louis, you normally think of a sports city just because there's nothing else in St. Louis. Yeah, and that's, that's a, you know, a middle-of-America squad, and there's not a great deal of teams in right smack dab in the middle of America. So I think that's good. I mean, and then like, also like, you know, I mean, you don't think of St. Louis as being a big soccer, soccer town, but maybe bringing this team will help the MLS too. And like help St. Louis become a, like a bigger soccer town down the road. Yeah. I think it would be good as well because they also already have the St. St. Louis, uh, Scott Gallagher. So they have already that USL pro, uh, pro team there already too. Yeah, and they'll go through exactly what we just talked about. Like, how do you really create a grassroots soccer movement? What do you need to do? And how do you get fans to buy in? So all three of these teams will get a chance to do it. So let me jump down to Nordeca really quick. I asked them what their favorite memory in the 25 years of Columbus Crew soccer has been. Uh, We'll get into this later, but their first one was MLS Cup 2008 when the crew beat – the New York Red Bulls three to one, but then they didn't say hashtag save the crew. They gave me hashtag save the crew. Um, so do you guys want to talk a little bit about the save the crew movement? I know we're all Columbus crew fans, but more important than that, we're MLS fans, but we were able to follow this movement a little bit more closely. You guys want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, but I think it was big because you saw, you saw people who came together to keep this, uh, team you didn't really see you saw new faces around you saw different people out so it was kind of good I unfortunately I hope people come out again and keep coming out um, it kind of seems like the it was a phase um, it looks like it didn't seem like a lot of people kept coming to games after they saved them unfortunately I might be completely wrong that might be my opinion all right, well, welcome back to week three of MLS Gone Wild. Sorry for the technical difficulties, everybody. Ran into a little uh, craft system on Anchor at. But let's get it going again. Yeah, we're going to have to create this episode in segments because it keeps kicking us out. But we're so dedicated to giving you guys content that we're back. It's been about a 35-minute break, but we're back. So, Dakota, what were you saying about the Save the Crew movement and what their hopes were and what they haven't quite accomplished with uh, yeah. bucking the seats? Yeah, I think the big thing is you went back. I was a season ticket holder last year, so I was in a lot of the games, out a lot of the games, I think about 90% of the home games I went to. Um, but it didn't really seem like attendance was really up from the year before we talked about getting attendance up, like showing that we could get big attendance and 
higher attendance, but it didn't really seem like it. It seemed like it was about the same, uh, which was pretty disappointing because you saw during the whole Save the Crew, people started coming out more and more, but then all of a sudden we saved the crew and everybody was like, ah, Columbus got a soccer team. Oh, well. It kind of just went back to the same attitude as before with a lot of uh, people around the community in Columbus. I agree. I agree with the cut on that. Yeah, Brandon, you were at a lot of the games with me last year. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the very – probably the first, like, couple games after they uh, actually found out that they saved the crew and everything, it was actually – it was pretty crowded. Like, there was a decent amount of people there. But as the season went on and as the end of the season came, I don't know, it just seemed like normal crowd, like the usual people that were there that are always there. No, Nobody knew, no new faces really at all. But it was just like, I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't anything like expected crowd-wise as it should have been for a team that just got saved and everything. Yeah, so this all started back in 2017 when, they, when Anthony Precourt basically disclosed that in his clause when he bought the team that if he were to move, he was going to move his team to Austin FC. And that was kind of a hidden clause within the agreement with – who do you sign the team from? Lamar Hunt, is that correct? I believe so, yes. So – and you guys have already touched on it. The How quickly the Save the Crew movement started. They created the website. They created the hashtag. They had so many different people that were so involved either with marketing or branding or merchandise, but just getting the name out there and not necessarily protesting, but standing outside of City Hall and making, at that time, uh, what, what is the governor's name, DeWine? Yeah, Mike DeWine. He was one of the first people that, well, he wasn't one of the first, but he basically let Save the Crew know that because um, the stadium was built with taxpayers' money, it could be decided through the local government as far as I'm understanding correctly. And at that point, Anthony Precourt basically put Columbus in an ultimatum where if Columbus didn't build a stadium in downtown Columbus, he was going to move the team to Austin FC. And so at this point we went from hashtag save the crew to hashtag save the crew I'm, I'm, I live in Virginia now, and I'm happy the Columbus crew is still there. That was – I mean, I played for Columbus Crew SC. I mean, they, they the, the very team. soccer Pacific Stadium too. So. Exactly. And what's what's cool is, you know, they, they went from playing in Ohio Stadium and a stadium where, you know, where Brian McBride first played, and it was a football stadium that sold out every Saturday for Ohio State games. And that's where they started, and that's where they really grew their name. And fans stormed the field after one of their first wins. And, I think where they're at right now. So after up until 2017, they were kind of in a lull and then support kind of ramped back up with the save the crew. And I believe almost now that before we're getting that new stadium, we just got a brand new coach. We're getting a lot of new players in. I think before next year, when this new stadium opens, I think it's almost going to be like, like we talked about with inter Miami, a grassroots type movement with, Columbus again, even though at that point we will have been in the league for 26 years. But I think well, it was, means- I think it was great for Columbus. I think it brought the city together. I think it really showed the soccer culture that we had. I would like to see it be carried out a little bit more. But it's it's great to see as a soccer fan being from Columbus. And that that goes with the new stadium too. Like it being right down the town, it's a great spot. But I mean, we'll see. I know there's going to be a lot of people that go there at first, but we'll see how long that crowd lasts. 
especially being a fuck or especially being a uh, brand new stadium, the crowd's gonna be massive. But other than that, I mean, who knows how long that crowd's gonna be around, though? Yeah, I think next year, kind of going what poop uh, off what Poopus is saying, I think next year is gonna be the test to see how big the fan base is in Columbus. Because every the talk now is, oh, we don't have a stadium downtown, which is why we don't get attendance. Once we get a stadium downtown, I'm intrigued to see if our culture gets better and more people get in the seats or it just kind of, kind of stays the same. If it kind of stays the same, you can kind of assume that we don't have that great of a soccer culture within Columbus as we kind of thought we did. Yeah. and um, So hopefully that kind of changes. And my thing is, I feel like this, the Mapri Stadium right now, I think it's a great location. It's close to downtown and everything. There's just not a lot of businesses around the stadium that actually help the help the system expand and everything. So yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like if they would have like if they would have went a different way and spent the money to where they could like put business around the old stadium and everything and revamp the old stadium, it would be a great place. I mean, I still enjoy it. I like it a lot there. Yeah, and I think it kind of comes back to my point when I asked you guys, you know, what is a sports city and you guys said the likes of Boston and whatever other city you guys said, but you know, those big cities, I think it kind of comes down to being from Columbus. We all know what it's like. And for me, I don't think it is a big sports city. I think it's a big Ohio state city, Yeah, but I don't think it's a big sports city. So trying to rally around Columbus professional sports, like the Columbus crew, like the Columbus blue jackets, they've seen way less success as they should expect than the Ohio State Buckeyes, but it's not necessarily a sports city. I've always been intrigued to see, to know how much that comes down to Ohio State too. If Ohio State wasn't as big as it would, how much would, how much more attention could the crew or the Blue Jackets get? Yep. I think they could get quite a bit, honestly. Well, like, especially with the Ohio State fan base, they go nuts for them. If, if, yeah, um, and I think that's the problem. They go so nuts for Ohio State where they don't care about anybody else. They're like, oh, I'm Ohio State, and that's it. I don't give a crap about anybody else. Yeah. And they, they both play on Saturday Saturdays in the fall. Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, sa- sa- sorry, I was trying to drink my wine. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they both play on Saturdays during the fall. So if the Buckeyes are playing at home and the crew's playing at home, what game are you going to? But I think that's the most – I think that's a good aspect to it of it because a lot of the crew games during the fall are at night at home. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it should make sense. Hey, as a college student, I'm going to Buckeye game at noon. I'm already drinking. I'm already having a good time. What's the point of why won't I spend 20 bucks to go to the crew game later at night? Keep it going. Yeah, the Buckeyes, like, Buckeyes just beat Rutgers 61 zero. Let me drink a couple more white claws and I'm going to head over to Mapper stadium. Yeah, and that's how it should be. I mean, that the drive's only, what, five well, minutes? First, maybe first, five we're, minutes. Not we're not, we're not encouraging them to drive. They can Uber there. You can, yeah, they the can Uber. walk there. They, 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 could the also, they could also stretch their legs and walk there. Yeah, it's yeah. I apologize. My wording was wrong. It's just like it's not that far of a trip yeah. where you can't do both in one day. All right. So and I, think it's, and I think a lot of it, it's like – like I think – Based on the stadiums, they need to do like promotion, promotional like uh, like schedules better. Because I mean, I don't know, if, I don't know if they had Bucker Brat anymore or anything like that. Games, but Whew. those were those were the the good times at the uh, stadium. Oh, those were good nights. So I feel like if they bring out more promotional schedules and stuff like that, and more giveaways, I know they got a couple of giveaways this year, but nothing big. Yeah. But I feel like it would bring more fans in and more kids in. 
for pack the house. Yeah, I think the problem is a lot of the giveaways are towards older people where like older people where they're already established as soccer fans. I think if we can gear the promotions towards little kids, the little kids can get excited and then their parents have to bring them and then we can grow with younger our younger generation that hopefully grows and continues. Yeah, not even like even if, uh, even if they're doing a, like a children's promotional like day like that, that's something for the adults. Like I don't know, two dollar beers or something like that. Everybody loves drinking beers. Yeah, so. Damn right. Again, we do not encourage drinking and driving. <laughs> Thank you, Dakota. <laughs> All right, I'm about to save the crew movement, and that's going to segue us perfectly into my interview with uh, the Columbus Crew Supporter Section or DECA. You can follow them on Twitter at n o r d e c c k e. Again, that's at n o r d e c k e. Nordeka. Um, so our first question that we had for these guys is: Where did the inspiration for the name Nordeka come from? Their direct response was: The name Nordeka comes from a crew supporter named Ryan Kozlowski on Big Soccer. Uh, and that it was to honor Columbus German heritage. It means northeast corner and should always be pronounced Nordeck. Uh, never Nordeck. Don't call it Nordeck. You're a crew fan. It's Nordeka. Okay. That's for all you crew fans listening. For any of you rival fans listening, don't try to disrespect the name. Uh, next question. As a crew supporter, what are you looking forward to most in the future of Crew SC? So I absolutely love this quote. I used to be in Nordeka. We all have been there. They reference massive in here, straight to the point. This is their quote. Games, any games, and our eventual massive takeover to the entire world of soccer as the truest, as, as the true greatest soccer team the world has ever seen. And that references a couple of different chants that they do in Nordeck. I'm sure you guys could chant them out right now if you wanted to. Poopus, go ahead and start chanting. I saw a boy, a boy, a Columbus. Well, that was neither of them, but I like that one too. Goes chant. <laughs> I'm good. I mean, I'm still laughing at yours, so right, I'm good. So, guys, sure. what is your favorite memory of 25 years of crew soccer? Do you guys have one, or who's who's your favorite player? Who's your greatest player? Hands down, Guillermo Barros Colota. Hands down. He's a legend. He's a man. Big time. Love the man. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, we've had so many great players come through Columbus. Um, we also had the 2008 MLS Cup, uh, our only MLS Cup championship that we've won our only star. But I think my favorite memory was the 2015 MLS Cup against Portland. Even though we lost, yes, it was very disappointing. I know how disappointed I was for weeks, days after, but just being there, being able to host the whole MLS Cup, taking in that whole environment. I remember Blake, you bought us tickets, I think, for what, one fifty each and we were upper bowl, yeah. upper deck drove, there. Drove ten hours to Dro- that game. Yeah, I drove nine and a half, so it was like on a random spur too. It was like a spur of the moment thing. You bought the tickets, you told me to drive up. I immediately got in my car, packed a bag and freaking took off for Columbus from North Carolina. So, I mean, that was probably my favorite crew memory, even though we did unfortunately lose it. So, I'll just go ahead and give you guys my crew memory, my favorite crew memory. I don't remember what game it was, but I recently sent you guys on Snapchat memories when somehow we acted like we belonged and we snuck onto the field for the on-field ceremonies. 
Y'all remember that? Yeah, I remember that. That was the uh, Eastern Conference Finals against the Toronto yeah, FC against in uh, 2017, I want to say. Yeah, it was a few years back. Yeah, Greg. 17, yeah, 18. Greg literally said, all right, guys, let's look like we belong here. And we were out there with a bunch of ball boys. And we were just screaming like hooligans. But that was one of my favorite memories. Also, I want to throw this out there. It's not a Columbus crew memory, but when they used to do the, I think it was the 2008 World Cup. Maybe not even, maybe it was the 2000, probably, uh, no, it was 2008, I think. Um, the World Cup, they used to do the watch parties right outside. Oh, yeah, I'm just talking about. I'm hey, Blake, that. I'm going to, I'm going to. Uh, disappoint you a little bit. 2008 was not a World Cup year. What was the World Cup? It was it 2010? It would have been 2010 in South That's Africa. That's the one I'm referring to. And the when Landon Donovan, Landon Donovan scored the Go Go USA goal, who did he score it against? Algeria. I think it was Algeria. I want to say it? Algeria. Yeah, yeah. And we. It was Algeria. Yeah, yeah we were all in the big white tent, sweating our butts off watching that game. That was one of my favorite moments at that stadium. But my favorite Columbus Crew player was Brian McBride. I referenced it earlier when Columbus Crew opened up in 1996. Um, he was one of their inaugural players. They opened up at Ohio Stadium. And he was just – he really brought the best out of that team. Um, I, I loved watching him play. He was one of the best that I've seen play in a – Crew jersey. He played with them for eight years. He had how many goals did he have? Where's it at? Oh, I remember. He had sixty-two goals and forty-five assists in one hundred and sixty-one league games. Um, and then he later on went to have stints at like Everton, Chicago Fire, Wembley, Fulham, Preston North End. Uh, he kind of set the precedent for Columbus Crew soccer. He's been in the talks to be like USA soccer president or USA soccer coach. He's a, he's the GM for uh, USA soccer yep. for the US men's. Yeah, he, he's he's one of the faces of USA soccer, and he's he's been inducted into the Columbus Crew, whatever they call it, the Hall of Fame. So he's my favorite player. So when asking Nordeka who their favorite player was, they responded back. They said, "Our Lord." And savior, Guillermo Barros. Has to. Skeleton. Has to be. So, Has to be. So, Guillermo was the Columbus Crew's first ever designated player and played with the team from 2007 to 2010. Um, the year he became the first ever DP, he also won the MLS MVP while leading the Columbus Crew to the MLS championship to win the MLS Cup. Um, that's a hell of a year. That's a, that's a hell of a way to represent yourself being the Columbus Crew's first ever DP. I think next week we'll probably discuss the best ever DPs in the league. Um, Wasn't somewhere... Guillermo the one with the uh, little flick for uh, Frankie Hayduk's header? I'm pretty sure. You know, I just watched the highlights and I can't quite remember. I'm almost positive it was. Yeah. So he made 118 appearances for the crew and he scored 38 goals. I don't have the amount of assists he has up here, but he was instrumental to the Columbus crew success. So the very last question that I asked, and D.C. United fans, Cincinnati, Cincinnati United fans, if you're listening, and I encourage you to do so, we'll continue to tag you and poke and prod until you do listen. But don't be mad at me. I'm just relaying the message from Nordeka. So maybe your team will bring the fire a little more next time. No, no, no pokes at the Chicago fire. I'm not talking about y'all. 
So I said, what team is the crew's biggest rival and why? End quotes from Lordeca. Keep in mind, this is for not this is not from Blim. Says DC United, they are scum. Maybe someday when Cincinnati gets gets a soccer team, they can be our rivals based on proximity. Hashtag hell is real. Um, if that's not hashtag shots fired, I don't know what is, but I love it. Let's get it going. Once soccer starts back, I can't wait to see these two rivalries play out. Yeah, I would love – I mean, that's always – it's always funny to, when talking about rivalries because, you, I mean, the fans always have different rivalries than the actual players. So it would be kind of interesting to hear who the players' actual rivalry – actual rivals' thoughts are. Because I, I've always thought our games between players and those types of things gets more heated when we play Chicago than we do D.C. or – Cincinnati so far. I've always felt like this Chicago game's always got more chippy and everything. Yeah, like and that. I think skill wise, at least in the West, I think from a soccer skill perspective and from a player perspective, Darlington Agby started out in Portland, correct? That is correct. Yes. Caleb Porter started out in Portland, correct? Yes. Uh, Fernando Adi started out in Portland, correct? Yep. Yeah. We also lost to them in the 2015. All of those guys in the 2015 MLS Cup. I yep. feel like something. It's not necessarily personal to them, but I think that it could be. And I think they've always kind of been the Western equivalent to the Columbus Crew. And I feel like they could be all, not necessarily be deemed a rival, but deemed one of the more competitive teams that we play against. Also, Seattle. Yeah. I feel like Seattle has always been a really good challenge for us. But speaking of Chicago, one of the coolest rivalry moments I've had as a, as a fan was I was getting into it with one of the Chicago fans a long, long time ago. And Oh, I can I can still picture that game. I was right next to you that whole yeah, time. We were, all were. And we were able to talk it out eventually after being in each other's faces, and we ended up just trading scarves. And I think Thanks. that's – what's up? Because that's when they had Columbus Police standing stand in the stands on the south end yep. where they were just standing right on the stairway so nobody got in the fights or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Then everything roped off. And I think that's that's the cool thing about soccer is you're going to have your disagreements, whether it's because of your city or whether it's because of soccer in general or whether it's personal. You know, soccer always will bring people together. And you have to realize that, you know, our argument because you think your team is bigger than better than mine, it don't really matter. Let's just trade scarves. I'll hang your scarf up on my wall. I still got it up on my wall 10 years later. Like, it's cool. We'll see if we can bring him on here and see if he remembers that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. Uh, Poopus, what do you got from our, from our guy Vince from LAFC? What do you have from him? So I got to give a shout out to Vince LaRosa. He's a, again, he's the digital manager of the LAFC. He actually works with them and he got the job back in 2018. And, and uh, so we're kind of asking him, like, uh, like how he's dealing with, like, this whole virus stuff going on. And he said, like, pretty much he said there's been moments where sports have gone dark whenever this get to this scale worldwide. And he was like, pretty much for the MLS, it would be a little, a little bit easier for them to uh, schedule games that they've missed so far, unlike Europe or somewhere around there, like, especially with uh, European leagues. They they might have a little bit, a little bit more trouble that scheduling games like that than the MLS, 
Yeah, feel so, bad for Liverpool. Yeah, and Chelsea, but but uh, so because I mean MLS, you, you can always schedule games during the week. I mean, especially now, like they're just gonna want to play. So I don't think it's gonna really matter for when they want to schedule games for them because they just want to get the season going again. But from what like he also said. For for him being a he used to go to LA Galaxy games back in back in the day, but when you like pretty much when he got around like watching European leagues, he was like, man, I wish like I wish soccer would be like that here in America. And then so he was like, once he found out that LA was getting a new team and pretty much where he's he's located, that they had groups of people that were already already all all go all like go ahead with this uh, LAFC team, so they pretty much. Go in the parking lot, beat their drums, and bring a whole group of fans in while the stadium's being built, and just just cheer on, even without a team going on. So that that if that tells you anything, then they have a they have a true fan base. And as you can tell from like what they show on TV right now, like that stadium gets crazy, super crazy. Yeah, and that goes back to saying that they've created a culture, and they are also in a sports city. And they've also bought huge players. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, right now the biggest player is Vela. So, I mean, everybody knows him in the MLS also. Yeah. And then from, like, uh, a couple other things that he was saying was, like, uh, pretty much, like, it's right now for him it's it's pretty hard to get around, like, uh, since he's a digital manager, to get him around, like, uh, trying to interview players and stuff like that. It's hard, but he knows that the fan group will never leave. So he knows, like the fan, he'll always be able to reach out to the fans, and if if he ever needs them, like interview wise or coaches wise, like they'll be always be there. And that's what he says. Like that's what he loves about LA, that the fan, the fans will never go anywhere because they they love their city too much. They love their team, and they'll they'll do anything for LAFC. Yeah, that's great. They've been one of them as well as Atlanta have been one of the best, the two of the best success stories four expansion teams in the MLS. And I know that you didn't mention it, but uh, Vince did mention it within the stuff that I read that they're kind of paving the way for MLS and not only paving the way for MLS, I think they're paving the way more for these expansion teams. They're showing expansion teams the way, you know, this is, this is what you need to do. This is the stadium that you need to build. This is kind of the, the standard that you need to try to live up to. These are the players you need to try to get to compete with expansion teams that have succeeded right out of the gate, just like Atlanta. You know, Atlanta didn't build their own stadium, but they play in the same stadium as the Falcons. But, you know, they have the same owner that's got that's got bank in his pockets and they got Yosef Martinez and off the jump, they got Miguel Almiron. You've got to get marquee players off the jump. You've got to get the jerseys for both teams are sweet. Um and they're they're sports cities. Both of those teams are sports cities, so the buy-in is crazy. I mean, without a doubt, like, I mean, LA already is a is a big city. If I mean Hollywood's there, like around there and everything else. So it's like I mean you're at celebrities there already and I mean owner obviously has money to money to spend and actually cares about his team. So he's gonna make sure he has the best for, for LAFC and, and their fans, honestly. Cody, you got anything to add? Yeah, I think that whole atmosphere in LAF, uh, LAFC is unbelievable. I mean, I would do anything kind of, sort of, to get into that, to just experience that fan base 
one time, kind of get into there and be close to there and experience that. I think it would be crazy. And I also just want to shout out his uh, – he has a podcast too, and it's pretty much the, the head podcast for LAFC. It's called Inside LAFC. So if you guys ever want to go check that out and support Vince, that's his podcast also. Yeah, so do you guys have anything to add to wrap it up or – No, I just think we all just got to kind of stick together. I think we got to lean on each other right now. Hopefully we can find enough sports and soccer to kind of fill our lives. I know it's trouble sometimes. You got work, family, and all that stuff. Um, But hopefully we can get through this all, this very difficult time within our country, and hopefully come out better on the other side. I think we're all just ready for the season to start back up and then for – for some action, absolutely. That's, that's for sure. Yeah, to wrap this up, I hope everybody stays healthy and happy. Uh, reach out to your loved ones. Tell your loved ones you love them. Check up on them. Make sure everybody's healthy. Make sure they got what they need. Make sure everybody's got their groceries. And more importantly, make sure everybody's washing their hands for 20 seconds at least. Without a doubt. Um, Without a... But other than that, please, you know, we, we took our time this week to find a couple of accounts on Twitter that would – really engage with us and give us some material that will be able to produce all this content that we're giving you today. So please give the Columbus crew supporter section a follow on Twitter. If you follow us and you're hearing this, or if you're just a listener, it's at Nordeka. It's going to be at N O R D E C K E at Nordeka. Also uh, the enter Miami supporter group. It's their verified account on Twitter. If you guys want to go ahead and follow them, let me just find their thing. We'll put it on our pages, too. That way, everybody can just click on it and follow them also. Yes, we will absolutely do that. Why can't I find it? Uh, they're, so, their at is going to be at Siege Miami. It's going to be at S-I-E-G-E Miami. Again, it's going to be at S-I-E-G-E Miami. Give them a follow. That is the Siege Supporters Club. That is the Supporters Club for Enter Miami FC. It's their inaugural season. Unfortunately, their first game of the season got postponed until a later date. Their stadium looks beautiful, and I can't wait to see a game played there, first of all. And then, once again, Poopus did a phenomenal job about reaching out to anybody and everybody, and he ran across our man Vince LaRosa from LAFC. Uh, Vince LaRosa, thank you. Give him a follow on Twitter, LAFC Vince. He did a great job about giving us a plethora of information. I'm sure he'll continue to send us anything and everything from L.A. We really appreciate that. Um, so, guys, we want to go ahead and close this episode. I appreciate everybody for taking a listen. Absolutely. To three. Like, we look forward to featuring more, more action guys. Even without any soccer, it doesn't even matter. We'll bring the action for you guys. Appreciate it. And you guys have a good night. Yep, and we will be back this way. So poop us out, blem out. Dakota out. Here we go. Poopus? Good? You good? Yeah, I'm in here. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Talk to Dakota. All right. Now we just wait. (laughs) (laughs) You should be here. I guarantee it. Yeah, it's, we're, we're right on the time, so we'll give them a minute. Or however long. There's not a certain amount of people you can have on this shit, is there? Uh, I was thinking about that earlier. I don't think so, Dak. Do you know?
I was literally just singing that, just like as Pupus was saying that. I have no idea. Because there's three people on here already, and then it's like taking up my whole fucking phone. How do you join? Uh, oh. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> Did you tell him we're kind of dumb when it comes to this, Blake? No, I'm telling him, click the link and hit join podcast. Oh, boy. It's all good. We're good. We're Gucci. Don't worry about it. Click the link and join the podcast. I mean, that's all we did. Is that all you guys did? Yeah. I mean, I sent it, so I don't know. (laughs) But again, we don't know how many people we can have in here. Hello? Oh, there we go. There it is. Brandon, what's up, man? You good? What's up? How's it going? I'm good. How How are you guys? Good. Good. Thanks thanks for joining us. Anytime, man. I'm glad to be on and chat with you guys. Yeah, cool. Uh, Yeah, we we were a little nervous. We we hadn't really thought about it. We were like, how many people can we add on to this app? Because we've only done with three. We're like, can we do four? But Mm -hmm. it works, though. Who cares? It's working. (laughs) Got everyone in. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, right, so, so we call, all right, so Brandon, let me give you a little rundown. We call each other by our nicknames on here. Um, so okay. This, this is Blake, but they call me Blim. Blim? All right. Yeah, Blim. Um, Dakota, we call either Dakota or Dak. And then Brandon, the other Brandon, we call him Poopus. Don't, Poopus. Don't, don't, yeah, don't ask. <laughs> 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 all right, so uh, Poopus, do you want to get us started? Yeah, we good? All right, Brandon, you ready, yeah, man? let's get it. Yeah, I think I'm ready. All right. All right, cool. All right, let's go. All right, hello and welcome to week five of MLS Gone Wild. I hope everyone is staying home and staying healthy during these tough times. We have a very special guest joining us today. We have defensive midfielder Brandon Eaton from Ford Madison FC. I appreciate hey, Brandon for joining us. What's going on? <laughs> appreciate what's Brandon up? for joining us in action. And blame me, take it away. Yeah, Brandon, uh, again, thank you for being here. We appreciate you dedicating some time just to talk to us and mm-hmm. answer some questions. Uh, like Brandon was saying, um, you, you are a defensive midfielder for uh, forward Madison FC, um, and you're Chesapeake, Virginia's own. Um, I'm yeah. Actually, I, actually, I actually reside in Chesapeake now. So it's, you know, what? 757. Yeah. <laughs> what high school did you go to? I never really found that out. Uh, I went to Indian River High School. So I was in a district back then i know the districts have changed over time but i was playing against great bridge Grassfield, hickory all those high schools back in the day nice so. very cool man i'm actually from columbus so i didn't play high school ball around or columbus ohio so i didn't oh, we were, nice. well, that's, where we're all, that's where we're all from so none of us played high school ball around here but uh okay. i like the seven five i like the seven five seven roots i respect that i would like to before we go any further and really get into our podcast i want to shout out dylan thompson for giving us this connection to Brandon. Um, if you guys want, please go give Dylan's Instagram account a follow and also his account on Anchor and all of the podcast platforms. It's full-on beach soccer. Uh, he's he's huge into beach soccer. He's In his first episode, he's interviewed a big-name U.S. women's national team beach soccer player. So go give him a follow. Again, that's full-on beach soccer. So we'll go ahead and roll into the questions. Brandon, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, right, man. So, so since COVID-19 is, you know, happening right now and everybody's kind of in quarantine, what are you doing to stay busy and pass the time? And also, what are you doing to stay in shape? 
Uh, so to pass the time, uh, I've been there's been getting a lot of extra Xbox time in to say the least. So been uh, playing a lot of Call of Duty and FIFA. Uh, aside from you know the athletic portion of the game, but to stay fit, we got our own like little workouts that the team's been sending to guys to kind of do their own thing to try and be ready for whenever this kind of boils down to its conclusion. So a lot of a lot of fitness stuff, a little work just to stay sharp and kind of maintain the the fitness level we got through before this uh, pandemic began. Well, good, man. It's it's good to hear that you're staying busy and trying to stay in shape. I couldn't help but see today on your your club's Twitter page that you're going to be participating in some uh, EUSL tournament. Oh, uh, yeah, it's Rocket League. So um, got a little E tournament that began today. I played the first match, didn't really go directly in my favor. I kind of uh, underestimated the, the ability of some of these Rocket League players, but hopefully – Throughout the rest of the term, we can kind of even things out in the group stages. <laughs> so, so uh, do you want to, for, for our listeners out there that aren't, you know, huge video game players, do you want to describe kind of what Rocket League is? Oh, so, so Rocket League is like a combination of, like, race car driving and soccer all combined in one. So it's, I know that it sounds very challenging, which it really is. I, I, I kind of <laughs> struggle with playing it. I'm, I'm FIFA guru, but I couldn't... Uh, channel my inner nascar to kind of put them both together so it's basically driving around trying to knock a soccer ball into a net with a with a little max bo- matchbox car so it's a <laughs> it's an interesting game to watch and even more uh interesting and challenging i learned to play <laughs> yeah for sure i think that's interesting that you guys are doing that it's actually going to be on espn3 uh dakota just told me so that's yeah. that's even cooler that they're going to be televising it All right, so on the question two, so while you were playing for the Richmond Kickers, you sustained a season-ending ACL meniscus tear. What was your mentality going through physical rehab, and how much did you really miss the game? Uh, well, right from the start, um, my mentality was basically getting back as fast as I could. Like, I was told it could be a year-long process, but for me, the only thing I heard was the minimum uh, uh, month uh, requirement to get back, which is around – six months so for me that, that was my goal from the start and I remember uh, uh it was about maybe four days after the surgery uh I felt I remember falling in the bathroom because I just had a mentality I was like I was I want to get back as fast as I could so I tried to get up on my own and go to the bathroom and ended up falling over mom came down and checked on me but uh that's kind of describes the way I kind of went about things in rehab just I did a lot of extra stuff and really pushed myself to get back in the in the time frame for, honestly, the next USL preseason. And how much, how much did you miss the game when you were away? You know, oh, yeah. Watching your teammates and whatnot. I missed the game a lot. I played, uh, I remember my surgery was on uh, September 11th of 2017. So that was uh, about 10 days before FIFA uh, 18 came out. So I uh, missed the game a lot, put a lot of hours in on that, watched a lot of uh, soccer at home and you know it was it's it's hard that it was probably the longest time I'd gone in my at that time 22 years of my life without a uh, ball at my feet and playing so it was a it was an emotional roller coaster for that reason and I'm glad that I was able to get through it and be on the the upside of that injury process 
Yeah, it sounds like you really had a chip on your shoulder and you were out to, you know, prove that you were, you know, still ready to take the next step in your career. Yeah, for sure. I I, I had talks with a lot of people who said, oh, maybe it's time you, like, stop playing, you know, maybe it's a sign. Because it, it really occurred, like, I signed a contract and with uh, Richmond and two months later I tore my ACL at, right after I played my first uh, game with Richmond. So a lot of people were telling me, oh, you probably won't be back in time to play. And But sure enough, I kept that in my mind, used it as motivation, and made it back for a preseason with Richmond the following year and got re-signed. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I read I read somewhere in an article that the injury was actually a, no, a non-contact injury. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was actually a friendly. So we played a friendly against uh, – DC United's U23s, um, it was about a week before I, or about two weeks, honestly, before I realized I tore my ACL. So in that match, I uh, went to play a cross-in, and I kind of clipped my studs into the turf, and I felt like a twist and pull in my knee. It was really painful at the time, but I kind of finished out the rest of the match. It was only like maybe 15 minutes left, so I finished out the match. And I noticed for the next two weeks, like in training, every time I jarred it, um, I, I would have trouble uh, moving afterwards. But I actually played against FC Cincinnati, not knowingly, the whole 90 minutes with the torn ACL. And I remember after the game playing 90, I was like, yeah, I don't think I can walk. I, and, I, and I honestly couldn't walk without a pretty, pretty good amount of pain and finally got an MRI the following weekend. And, um, uh, yeah, I had a tour ACL and meniscus. <laughs> so it's yeah, pretty the, crazy. Yeah, the, yeah it's, it's definitely crazy. So the reason I ask is because I can relate. I played at Virginia Westland uh, mm-hmm. with Dylan, and I, I also nice. tore my ACL, meniscus, and fractured my tibia. Not um, nice. In a, non-contact, <laughs> in a non-contact injury. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I was kind of asking about your mentality. You know, I came back, and I had one season left to play, and – you know, you, you kind of come out to, to prove something. Obviously, I'm not where you're at. It's nowhere as good as you are. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you, you always come back with a chip on your shoulder. So uh, uh, I like following your journey, and I think we're all going to continue to follow that journey now. Thank you. I appreciate it. But just to say something about that, anyone who can get through that process and come back, uh, hats off to them because it's, it's no easy process to go with. No matter the level you're at or age or sport you play, it's it's not – easy to go through as an athlete for sure so hats off to you good advice (laughs) yeah good advice brandon thank you Mm -hmm. yeah so brandon um dakota here talking with another question um so after you fully recovered from that you kind of had a weird story about how you ended up in madison um with the text message and being watched by Coach Shore down in camp in Tampa. What was it like playing for uh, forward Madison in their inaugural season? Oh, it was – honestly, it was a dream come true. Like, it was my first time uh, – honestly, it was my first time going through a preseason, a full preseason with no injuries. And the, the atmosphere around the club, the support, the fans, the flock, shouts out to them because it's <laughs> – they really made it um it's it's i it's i can safely say it's the best club to play for in our league for a hundred percent and possibly in uh uh u s l it's it's support is amazing like a home games are sold out every single one and 
it's it's really special feeling to be able to represent this club. Yeah, I was I was curious because when I was looking up pictures and stuff, doing some research on Fort Madison, it was like those stands looked like they were completely full. Every picture that popped up and watching your highlight tape and everything, it looked like there was always tons of people in the stands getting into it and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it gets it gets crazy in the flock in for sure. They always come march every game. They come marching in from wherever they're uh, doing their festivities beforehand with <laughs> drums and instruments. And you know, uh, I talked to teammates who played in the league and some of them who play here now that were in the league last year were always just surprised when they came out and saw the support we had here. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's that's great. A couple podcasts ago, we actually talked about, you know, what it takes to, you know, start like a grassroots soccer movement. And, you know, with you guys being the, the first uh, a first year team in 2019, uh, the first time in Madison, um, you know, you guys had to start from scratch and just doing going through Twitter and trying to see how just looking through for Madison's Twitter, I noticed there were so many like different Twitter pages for different supporters groups just for that team. So I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, also, it's... I, I, I got I got a couple of questions about the squad though. It's a little weird that you guys have a flamingo as <laughs> your mascot, and you guys are in Wisconsin. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, so I was uh, a little skeptical myself at first. I saw the flamingo, saw the colors, and it really stands out. You know, like at first I was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" But uh, it's actually uh, I learned that the flamingo mascot came from. Uh, I guess a prank that occurred on UW, the University of Wisconsin, Wisconsin's uh, campus, where I can't remember the number of flamingos, but a good number, maybe a thousand or so plastic flamingos were placed on the, not sure, administrative staff uh, holding position, maybe the president of University of Wisconsin's uh, front lawn. And that was kind of where the flamingo came into play for Fort Madison. So that's where that comes from, and the colors come from the flamingo, and it's uh, definitely a, a pretty, you know, open and special place to be, you know, with the with the vibrance of colors around here in, in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Got some sick jerseys, though, that's for sure. Sick, sick jerseys, yeah, definitely. Some of the sickest jerseys I've come across in my life. So it's definitely special to be able to represent and play uh my favorite game in these jerseys for sure even better ones this year <laughs> <laughs> yeah love the jerseys um so so we were just talking about your first year um so in your first year with the club you scored the club's inaugural goal in the u.s open cup um describe your feelings in doing that and you know what making that kind of history meant to you uh, it was it was very special for me for many reasons. Uh, it came at a time where my position within the team, I, I came in expecting to play a lot more than I had at the start. And I came into that game, played really well, got the goal that kind of started us going. Could have had another one, but it was a turnaround for my season. I, I ended up playing a lot more after that goal until I, I suffered another injury, injury infor- unfortunately. But um, – the goal itself was special because it was my first goal technically professionally in, in my career so far. And um, to be able to score the first goal for Ford Madison in their Open Cup history 
definitely it makes it even more special considering the support behind the club and the what it means to not only myself but to the fans and the people of the city yeah and after you scored that goal you guys went on to win the next game it looked like and then you guys lost to what is now going to be an eventual mls expansion team in st louis yeah we we went out to el paso we we took care of business there like a lot of people didn't pick us to be able to Take take down El Paso, beat them three zero, and then went to St. Louis. Had a rough start, and fortunately couldn't recover. So that was uh, the end of our Open Cup run. But you know, we made the the club proud and the people who supported us proud because we made it a lot further than a lot of people pegged us to do. So absolutely, yeah, it's big news scoring the uh, the inaugural goal in a U.S. Open Cup history for a club. I mean, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. All right, so this is Poopish. I'll ask you a question, man. So, what's up? So, who's the best player you've, like, ever played against? So, the best player I've ever played against, uh, off the top of my head, would have to be Paul Ariola. Okay. He plays for D.C. United and U.S. national team at the moment. And uh, we set up a couple exhibitions in my time, my second year in Richmond, and I was lucky enough uh, or unlucky enough to play in midfield against him on, on one occasion. And uh, he, was, he was quite a player. He's, it just gave me a new perspective, or not a new perspective, but it was a bit eye-opening seeing a player that plays not only at the highest level uh, domestically, but internationally as well, See to see that and kind of compare myself and See where I stand. Also, yeah, that'd be. I mean, that'd be a sweet feeling at first. So going up against them, you know, you mess up up against, up against. Yeah, not quite messy, but still very quality player. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, that's that's cool, and it's it's also it's a, it's a measuring stick for your for yourself to see how far you need to go to get to that level. Yeah, exactly. And uh, ju- just to talk on that, unfortunately, Poopus and I had the great experience of playing against Will Trapp yeah. <laughs> a couple a couple oh, times sweet. in our high school career. Um, he was literally right down right down the street from us at a different high school, and they were at that point they were ranked the number one high school team in the country. And and our senior year, in the combined two games that, that we played against them, they beat got, us six yeah, we got zero. Smacked. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure so looking it, back at it now, you're like, ah, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he chipped our goal. He chipped our goalie from midfield. There were there were a whole lot of things, but it's it's cool to play against that caliber of player, regardless of you know how it goes. It's it's nice to say that you were on that field with him. Exactly. Yeah. Great experiences. Poopus, you're up. Oh, I'm going again. All right. Let's get at it. So. <laughs> If you had a quarantine with like one professional soccer player, who would it be? <laughs> I saw I saw a little bit of this question. Uh, <laughs> had a feeling it was coming, but um, so my favorite player probably in the world right now. I'm 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 always biased in no matter the the critics what they say, yeah. but Messi Ozil because my oh okay he I, he always has a special place in my heart the way he plays the way he carries himself but the main reason I want to be quarantined with him not only for his uh footballing ability but also uh he's a big time uh gamer as well he has his own uh esports team so I feel like being quarantined with him with the headset on playing a couple of my favorite games would make for a pretty 
pretty easy going, fun quarantine. Yeah, I mean, he's from <laughs> Germany too, because my, my favorite player used to be Michael Bollock, so back in the day. So, oh, Bollock. Yeah. So, German international, Arsenal player, definitely would go with Mezzadozo. So, so does that mean you're an Arsenal fan? I am, sadly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm hopeless romantic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan and a Cleveland Browns, oh, Browns fan. I'm a, <laughs> I've, I've made poor choices in my, in my fandom. It's all right. When the, when the day finally comes, you know, you can just, you can always say you, you've been there when the times were more than just rough. <laughs> Question: Since we're talking about Arsenal, were you sad when Aaron Ramsey left? Aaron, oh, that's I think the, the Arsenal have obviously let go of a lot of players in their history, and, but Aaron Ramsey will never really make sense to me why they let him go, considering we had no central midfielders. And <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sad about that one because he is a uh, one of our best players, a uh, couple seasons, and then he he's gone, and we had nothing but. Uh, Jaka and a 18-year-old French French kid <laughs> playing in midfield. Yeah, Gwendouzi. Yeah, yeah, and you're you're a defensive midfielder. So what, what do you think of what do you make of Gwendouzi? I think he's really I think he's quality. Uh, he's one of the the best up and coming players. But uh, I, speaking for Arsenal standards, I I think he's a good player to have in the squad. But starting in a in in Arsenal's midfield, it's I think we need more superstars in there if we want to get back to the to the quality that we as fans kind of are dying Expect. are dying for. Yeah, yeah. It, w- it wouldn't be bad to have Guendouzi coming off the bench for I don't know a, a Tiago or someone along those lines. So, Brandon, do you see um, <laughs> yes. Arteta being the man for that job? The guy who kind of takes Arsenal into the promised land further than what they have been. Uh, honestly, from the results, I, they start off with a bunch of draws, but they went over a, a stretch of pe- a stretch period where they they didn't lose for uh, over a month or so. And I mean, the squad has definitely improved a lot, giving up a lot less goals, could score some more. But uh, I, I could see him being the guy long term with the improve short term improvements he's made to the team, and hopefully, I can trust him to do so. Yeah. Over time. So Arsenal's your favorite Premier League team. Do you have a favorite MLS team? Favorite MLS team? I would it's tough. I never really um had a favorite because I've I've seen a lot of DC United games just from growing up in Virginia. So I guess I would have to say DC United just because I've been around the club more so. I've played in one exhibition with DC United against a Honduran team. So it's, I guess I would have to go at DC United. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, now that I live in Virginia, that's one thing that I really took uh, for granted. And when I lived in Ohio was, you know, having the Columbus crew right there and it was so accessible. You could drive 15, 20 minutes and get to every professional soccer game every Saturday. So, yeah. Um, here in Virginia Beach, we really don't have that, unfortunately. We, we're starting to get into the USL. We have Virginia Beach City FC, so it's, it's good to see some, some level of professional soccer coming back into the local area in the 757. Yeah, hopefully in the upcoming years with uh, all the teams and league expansions, there will be a little USL or MLS uh, 
team in Virginia Beach. <laughs> yeah, they, they they could use some East Coast love, man. There's not a lot of teams along the East Coast. Yeah, it's very true. So, Brandon, I got another one for you here. We just got a couple more left. Um, growing up, we all grew up playing soccer. Um, I'm not sure if you went through the DA system or not, but one of my questions is how can we get more American youth into, like, the USL or the MLS because it just doesn't seem like we're sustaining enough American youth players within these leagues. Do you uh, kind of have a thought about that? Uh, for me, yeah. My my piece would just be I I didn't grow up with uh, I had the look the local uh, academy closest to me was uh, Rush Academy and then the other one from that was DC. But for me, uh, from playing in a league with a lot of MLS two teams, uh, a lot, a lot. I think the best uh, chance for the youth to really uh, get into the MLS and to succeed at a USL level and find a successful professional career would be to just start uh, your early youth career within a MLS affiliate. Because uh, I've played against a lot of kids in the league that I played in that are eighteen, nineteen, who have grown up playing for. The well, there's Toronto's uh, youth systems or FC Dallas's youth systems, and I think that's the best way to kind of stay on the radar of uh, these teams and coming up through their development uh, pyramid. And whether you stick with those teams or you find a way to get bounce around to another MLS affiliate, I think that's the the best ticket at this point to. Uh, find a way into the MLS or USL. Okay. Yeah, we kind of just – we were talking about that last week. We talked about how we just – the DA system and the homegrown contracts just haven't seemed to really work out lately, depending on what um, DA you kind of went to. There's certain DAs that are kind of working like FC Dallas. You see it working down there and certain other pro uh, clubs. But it doesn't seem to be working anywhere – everywhere. So I was just curious on – what your opinions were on that. Yeah. So for sure, we're all athletes. Music is always a huge part of our pregame ritual. Um, what kind of what's on your pregame playlist? Pregame playlist. Oh, it's definitely um, it depends on the mood. Sometimes I, I listen to a little something that's a little lighter in mood, uh, but uh, probably some a little Travis Scott, a little Drake to get myself hyped up, uh, you know, just sometimes a little uh, electronic music will do the trick. But sometimes before a game, I, I got to listen to something that makes me want to, you know, really go out there and just kill some people. So maybe even some <laughs> some Soldier Boy, some Chief Keef maybe in there. Some Soldier Boy. Yeah, I like Soulja it. Boy. I like that shit. A little Chief like Keef, Rich the Kid, you know, <laughs> just get my thug on yeah, <laughs> out in the sure. field. So. It depends. Yeah. It changes up. Yeah, and our my last question, I don't know if Blake and Brandon have come up with any um, or Poopus throughout this, but kind of just to sound off a little bit, what are what would be your one piece of advice to lower to younger players who like aspire to play in the professional leagues outside of just kind of getting into a pro affiliate? Uh, my advice would be just to keep your focus. I think a lot of the difference between players and their development is just the amount of focus they put into things and their 
and their desire as well. So just being uh, motivated, self-motivated to kind of work on the things that you um, aren't that uh, uh, fixed in in terms of your ability and asking questions as well because I feel like uh, coaches, um, a lot of kids and young players are afraid to ask questions, ask what they're not uh, as uh, savvy in in terms of their technique and things they can work on whether it's positioning or technique in their game that these coaches can see, but they players never know because they don't ask, sit down, ask for video, ask for a little uh, meeting or some sort to just kind of get a better idea of what they need to work on. So that would be my advice. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great advice, Brandon. Um, so, We've, we've gone through all this, and we really haven't touched on your college career whatsoever. And you played at Virginia Commonwealth, yeah? Yeah, VCU. Started at how, how was but transferred oh. over. Okay, cool. Um, how, how was your college career? Did you enjoy it? And, like, what lessons did you learn from it? Uh, college career was great. I, I, played, I was fortunate to play a lot of games in my time at VCU. Unfortunately, didn't win many uh, championships playing a couple finals. But I think the biggest thing I learned in my college career was just how to juggle my mentality and things I had going on outside of the field. Because in college, you're young. There's uh, the social life. There's the academics as well. And uh, that kind of goes back to that focus aspect where I think the biggest difference between players is their mentality and how they juggle the, the hard days and the uh, things outside of soccer that may uh, carry over into your your game. So, I think that's the biggest thing I I picked up over my college career at VCU. So, in our last episode, we talked a little bit how the college soccer landscape, especially on the men's side, may be changing. Um, there's currently some legislature going on within the NCAA that men's soccer may switch from just being a fall sport to a split-and-a-half fall and spring sport. Um, so you'll still have the same amount of practices, same amount of, same amount of time with your team, but the season will be spread across fall and spring season. And their reasoning for doing this is to um, prevent overuse of the young athlete body and reduce uh, injury and also to let the student-athlete focus on being a student as well. And things look like they're going to pass on the men's side, and that's going to happen. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, actually, um, it was always uh, something uh, in my college time that people talked about it may happen, but it's, it's good. Honestly, for me, I think it's good to hear that that's going to come into play because it was often times where you'd play a game in August when it's 88 degrees outside on a Friday and turn around and play another game on a Sunday and teams and players can pick up a lot of injuries and uh, it's, it's, it's no way to really play a game, especially at that level where uh, fatigue settles in more than most sports and um, having to play a game is such a quick turnaround. It's, it's no way to really uh, compete at your, at your best. So I, I think it's good to hear that that's getting passed. I think it long-term would – will allow players to play or be at their best in more games than not. If uh, the schedule's more stretched out and there's more time between games to recover and uh, rest. 
Yeah, I agree. Dakota, do you have any thoughts on that from a coach's standpoint? Yeah, I I mean, I give my opinion. I agree with Brandon as well. Um, another big part that I like about it is the fact that we'll have a day or two to actually work with players to kind of develop them a little closer. I mean, I don't know what it was at the D1 level, Brandon, but the D3 level, it's like we play Friday and Sunday, but like two or three out of the four days that we actually practice during the week, we're going over game plan, more tactical stuff than technical stuff. Mm-hmm. So that always runs into problems and can hinder development as well, like we touched on earlier, I think. Yeah, for sure. I agree completely because when you – like for me, I, I I looking back on my college career, so many weeks, like I, I feel like I got – a lot better during my spring seasons because we didn't play as many games than I did my fall seasons because the fall was strictly like you have a maybe one day of small-sided, some technical stuff, and then the rest of the week is focusing on your opponents and prepping for the game on the weekend. So it's not as much time for development, but if you stretch the season longer, I feel there'll be a lot more time to kind of work with players and uh, see more of a spike in there development positively yeah so i've i've watched your highlights that you post on instagram um playing at four madison playing in the defensive midfield i think you're a really good defensive midfielder but what do you think is like the prototype to being a good defensive midfielder uh for me uh if i could combine and make myself perfect it would be just uh a little bit you got to be Obviously, technically savvy and good on the ball, but also being able to read the game very well. I think that's a big piece is being able to read the game defensively and offensively as well. Being able to pick out passes that help your team get forward quickly and catch the other teams out and also being able to read the other team where you can maybe pick off something here, slide a guy to help you pick off something there. So it's, you know, it's a... Being uh, uh, defensive but also attack-minded uh, player uh, could is the best uh, prototype I feel to to play that position. Maybe if I can find Conte and uh, Pogba together, I'd be the perfect perfect player <laughs> to describe. Yeah, I think that would be that would be perfect. <laughs> so a, a lot of defensive midfielders that I see, they get really content with playing the ball laterally, side to side. Um, and in the highlights that I saw watching you play, um, you know, you're a, you're a possession-oriented player, but you're also, you know, you're ready and willing to take a risk and you're, re- you're, you're ready to combine. You're ready to play a one-two, play the ball up to the target man and run off him and then spray the ball wide. Um, so, so that was good to see from a defensive midfielder. I think you have a lot of promise there doing Thank that. You. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it gets me in trouble. There's my, uh, there's, there's some people that will say that I tr- I try to unsimplify things a little too much. So that's one part of my game I'm trying to balance out is being more of a guy that moves side to side at the right times than trying to always pick out the killer pass or killer dribble or something like that. So hey, sometimes sometimes that changes. It does. That, that's what I say every time. <laughs> I may mess it up three may may mess it up three times, but that fourth time that I get it right, uh, everyone will forget the first three times. That's right. 
Poopus, Dakota, you guys got any more questions or any comments? No, I mean, I think he, Brandon, you answered all my questions. I just really want to thank you for taking your time out and really joining us on this show and kind of giving us an insight into your career and the things you are doing right now, and we appreciate it. I I appreciate being a part of this. It was was really fun, and it, it was nice to be able to join you guys and hear a little bit of you got what you guys have going on and your development and backgrounds as players and your views of the game and looking forward to following you guys whether it's social media or podcasts here in the upcoming future yeah i mean honestly we can't wait for the usl season to get back going so we can watch, watch some games too <laughs> yeah fingers uh, crossed <laughs> yeah hopefully it happens here soon so hopefully get through yeah. this shit yeah, I, I I don't know when games are going to start being played again, um, but whenever they do, I really look forward to it. Brandon, like Dakota said, we really appreciate you taking your time um, out of out of your very out of your busy day to you know talk to us and answer questions that are personal questions, and you didn't have to answer. Uh, you're our very first guest on this podcast, so so we appreciate it. Um, hopefully, hopefully this will lead to big things to come. Uh, we're also going to be huge advocates for you. Now that you've come on here, we're going to be big time fans of Brandon right. Eaton. Absolutely, and we can't wait to watch. We can't wait to watch you grow at Fort Madison, and you know, hopefully one day that we can talk. We can you know talk about you being the MLS. We would love to do that. So, Brandon, thank you for being here, man. We really appreciate yeah. it. Everybody, that's everybody. It's a listener. We hope you guys stay safe, stay healthy, stay home. Um, thank you for tuning in. Brandon, you want to close us out, man? You're our first uh, yeah, you go just ahead. Wanna, I just want to thank time. you guys for having me. This has been super fun, and I look forward to hearing and viewing more content from you guys in the, in the future. Thank you. Uh, cool. I appreciate it again, Brandon. You definitely have a good one. That's for thank sure. Thank you. Stay you healthy. too. Yeah, this is MLS Gone Wild, week six. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all later.